What's going on, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Red Card Report podcast. This is episode 107. I am your host, Rui Pereira Jr., and we got a great episode for you guys tonight. And we are without Joe Cappuccino, but my co-host, Eddie Baptista, is with me. How you doing, man? Welcome in. <laughs> Hi, man. I'm great. Another phenomenal week of Champions League football. So, man... So much going on in Europe right now. It's like a football fan's dream right now. So great football all around. I know we had Europa today. Champions League was awesome. And now Joe is gone yet again. <laughs> I know. I don't know what his deal is, but Eddie, exciting matches in in this um, in this uh, hand of the round of 16, Villarreal. Uh, Juventus drew one to one. Chelsea two to nothing over Lille Atletico, and Manchester United drew in Madrid. And Benfica and Ajax draw two to two in Lisbon. Jam packed, exciting football overall for the most part. But let's start off with Juventus and Villarreal. Uh, Eddie Vlahovic, this is the guy that Juventus invested a ton of money on. Um, ton of money in in January to get these goals, and only in 32 seconds he was able to score his first uh, Champions League goal in his debut, making it the fastest debut goal in competition history. Uh, Juventus started off great, but after that, it seemed like Villarreal were just in control of the game, really, really chasing uh, and attacking Juventus's side equalizing and they didn't stop there it seemed like after that equal that equalizer they kept pushing and pushing searching for that for that second goal they weren't able to but um you know they they did a great job attacking Juventus what what say you about this game yeah it's just exactly like you said you know there was just an instant impact from Juve just from kickoff Flahovic just doing what he does best to stretch defenses and it really caught Villarreal on the back foot. It was that perfect long ball, but that control from Vlahovic was first class. I think he pretty much solidified himself in Juve history with that because that's a great moment. You know what I mean? So absolute clinical finish. And, you know, Juve were off to a flying start. I thought that they could have made more of the, the game, but you always felt like Villarreal were, you know, destined to to find that that equalizer. They were always threatening, always driving forward at Juve. You know, and they had a few golden chances, but you know, I think it was perfectly played. You know, lofted past Parolo that was just an absolute stunner of a finish. You know, just nice and easy. And I think that really exposed Juve's dis- defensive woes with how Delic just pretty much just let. Parolo roam free into the box onside and just an easy finish. So uh, I thought that Villarreal could have made more of the game, but you know, Juve are pretty lucky to escape with just the one, one. I think the the result is more in their favor going to Turin. Yep. Uh, so, so we'll see. And I think that, that 
that is pretty much uh, similar to a lot of the other matches in this knockout stage is that the second leg, especially now with no away goals, the second legs for a lot of these matches are going to be so up in the air. Yeah, you know, uh, they're, they're all for the taking. So, yeah, and this was one of them. Yeah, with the uh, away goal being abolished, it definitely gives the advantage to the uh, to the home team for sure. Because you know Juventus can can draw two to two at home, and it's going to go straight into into extra time. It's not going to go in Villarreal's favor. But yeah, I want to touch up a little bit on uh, on Juventus, uh, Eddie. I guess you know obviously Juventus didn't play the beautiful game, the the sexy way that we like to see, where possession and attacking football. They got that early goal, and it seems like they laid off Villarreal and they played defensively. And for the majority of the game, outside of that blunder from Delict and Rabio, they did rather well keeping Villarreal, who are really good, uh, you know, at link-up plays and possession, getting these runs behind the defenders into the box. They like whipping the the, the ball into the box into their uh, central strikers, and for the most part, Juventus did quite well, but. You know, it, it, it does become frustrating when you rely on that football um, for the majority of the game, especially when you have such a lethal striker like Vlahovic, who for both of of uh, Juventus's shots on target came from him. It's it's kind of amazing, you know, as you touched up earlier on, on how good Vlahovic is, he can almost create a goal or a brilliant shot from absolutely nothing. We saw that obviously in the first goal, which it seemed kind of weird. It caught everyone by surprise, as you mentioned. And then maybe about 10 minutes before the game ended, he had a brilliant shot that was similar to his to the goal that he scored, but it ended up being stopped by by um, by Ruli. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's just classic Allegri, just not wanting to to gamble as much uh, because playing that style, uh, I think it it creates a lot of lost lost possession if you're playing that long ball that more direct style but it's but it's something that's proven to work Vlahovic he he flourishes in that you know he he needs to be the one that stretches those defenses and not have that build up play you know because when it's more congested it's a little bit harder for him but something that he can run on to is where you get your best turnout. And I think that Allegri, uh, sometimes he is more conservative and especially when he's making changes I think he he waits until you know, when it's too late, uh, when it's not going to have as much impact in right. the game, whereas if you were to act a little quicker. And, yeah. you know, that happens in Serie A often. Yeah. So Villarreal's like playing style is, is well established. We understand how well they play when they're on. Obviously, they, they won the Europa League um, last season, and they're doing rather well after starting off really slow this year. The last two months, I believe they only lost twice in the in the La Liga. So we know we understand how well they are, even without Gerard Moreno. But what does Juventus need to do to go in to the second leg and come out on top? Because Villarreal looked pretty dominant, and they were I don't want to say dominant, but they they seemed like they were in control and they weren't just able to capitalize on more opportunities. What does Juventus have to do differently? Yeah, I think they just have to rise to the occasion. They have, you know, a young team who is capable of a lot, uh, but with a statement signing like Vlahovic, uh, I think this is something that elevates them. And, you know, their their players are st- stepping up. And despite, you know, the the mistakes at the back, I think that Delict has been a great leader. Um, and he's 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 trying to carry Juve, you know, towards that. Um, yep. And I, I think all around he has he has great talent, but it's it's 
being at that level, right? In Villarreal, I think that they they have mature players who have been, you know, at that level, you know, winning the Europa League. That's no easy feat. And, you know, it's all class players. So they have to rise to that occasion. I think going back to, you know, Juventus Stadium, they're at the advantage. Uh, I think it requires a big performance from from everyone, from Locatelli, you know, from their back line. Alexandro needs to, you know, deliver, um, you know, going forward. And, you know, Vlahovic as, as well. This is his moment to shine. And, you know, if Juve can can get forward, you know, who knows who, who they'll uh, draw up against. But, you know, it's a big moment for the club. So huge opportunity for Juventus. It's going to be either, you know, Juve progress and, you know, everybody's like, oh, great, you know, applaud the project that they have going on. Or, you know, if Juve drop down, it's like, wow, another year, another failure. Uh, so <laughs> we'll see what, what, the, uh, what the message is going to be. So next match, Chelsea versus Lille. Chelsea pretty much dominated this game. Two to nothing. No Romelu Lukaku. No problem. Havertz with an early header, which, you know, I guess third time's the charm. He had two brilliant opportunities before he scored on his header. And Pulisic with a dagger in the second half. Chelsea looked dominant. Thiago Silva also, again, incredible for his age. What say you about this match, Eddie? Yeah, Chelsea, they've been flying high. You know, they're coming off of winning another international trophy, winning the Club World Cup, and, you know, they're playing some great football. You know, early on in that match, they were just a constant threat. They looked promising with their attack, Kai Havertz, uh, you know. But they were unable to to convert a lot of their chances, and a little slowly, they ended up getting into the into the match, and they en- ended up holding possession for a little bit. But uh, you really got to, you know, take your hat off for uh, N'Golo Kante. He had, you know, a, an amazing performance. And, you know, towards the end of the game, he makes, you know, a box-to-box run, which he sets up, you know, Pulisic. You know, it, it's just amazing to have a player like that in, in your team. So he's just an absolute machine. And, yeah, and Kristen Pulisic, you know, coming up big in, in another crucial moment too, you know, Captain America, they call him. And I think he's delivered on the big stage. And as an American player, that's you know, you, ha- you have to be talked about as, you know, one of the top in the world. Yeah, absolutely. And and Pulisic, for some reason in the Champions League, and I mean, he's done rather well in the EPL as well, but he, he really lights up the stat board uh, in the Champions League, right. averaging a goal and an assist, almost, almost a goal or an assist, a goal contribution, a game in the last several matches. So he's doing really well in this competition. And, and Chelsea, just like any other big team, Obviously, Pulisic is not the best player on the team, but you need players like that to step up and perform to really take the pressure off the top players and even bail them out and compensate for the times that they're not playing as well. But let's flip over a little bit to the the Lille side. I think overall in this game, I know I said it was a dominant performance from Chelsea. I guess we can say that they were in control. They didn't really let anything slip, but... We felt the presence. We felt the presence of uh, Renato Sanchez in this game, and we know how defensive-minded that Lille can be, especially in league. On their they're well, um, they're well equipped in the back, and they do well there. Uh, you know, th- but they were still able to get some shots off. They were moving the ball pretty well, but Chelsea didn't really allow them to get any golden opportunities, anything that was really threatening. Um, I know, I guess this isn't the result that Lille wanted, but you see them, you know, somehow pulling off this, this miracle to, to come back in the second leg and win. I mean, I want to say no, just because of how, you know, strong Chelsea are and, 
you know, they've, they're the, they're the holders, you know what I mean? I think that they've had a great season so far. Uh, they've been able to accomplish a lot. Uh, and this team keeps on maturing and these players are, are coming through and, and really, you know, owning up to, you know, carrying that Chelsea name, uh, you know, with Kai Haver stepping up, he's been, you know, amazing. And like Santiago Silva, amazing at the back and even Rudiger, you know, Rudiger has been uh, awesome. Uh, you can't, you can't re- you can't really deny this team. So I'm still going to, I'm going to go with Chelsea all day, you know, that they got the lead in the aggregate and, you know, it's a tough deficit to, to Lille to, for, uh, for Lille to overcome. Yeah. No, it, it, going down to nothing against anyone. It's, it's never easy in the champions league to, to overcome it. And you need something that's really brilliant, something really majestic, individual, uh, performances that are legendary to overcome a, a result like that. Um, but one last thing for about Chelsea, Eddie. What do you think of the whole Romelu uh, Lukaku situation? It took eight minutes for for Kai Havertz to have more touches, more shots, and more goals uh, than Romelu Lukaku did over the weekend against Crystal Palace, where he played the entire game and only had seven touches on the ball and two shots. Yeah, the stats don't lie, and you know it's crazy to see that he's that much into in his emotion that. It, it tunes him out of the game. You know, you have a player uh, that is a, a number nine that's supposed to be hungry. You know, you you shouldn't be backing down away, uh, backing away from, you know, a, a challenge. There's, there's no no excuse for you to only get nine touches. You have to find your way back in the game. It's like Darwin Nunez uh, in the first half against Ajax, he, he had a really rough go. He barely had any touches. But in the second half, he got into the game and it almost felt like, Oh, I'm gonna really force my way in, and that's something that Lukaku is not doing, and it just really shows. Like, are, are you really gonna get, let your emotions get the best of you? Um, I just feel like we talked about it before. He's a very complex character, and for something like this to weigh down his performance, like he has the capability and the ability to uh, really sh- shine, and he yeah. did that at Inter. But I don't know what it is if it's if it's mental or if it's I have no idea, but for him to turn out a performance like that, it's no surprise that, you know, he's, he's sitting on the bench and he's being overshadowed by these other players that are way more hungry than him. Yep. So they go on without him, or do you think they're, he's going to end up stepping in and, and fulfilling his role? Well, that, that's his, that's on his own destiny, but if there's any indication and from his history, it, it looks like he's, Probably could just write out his contract or find a way out. Yeah. All right, so let's move on to the next match that was played yesterday. Atletico won, Manchester United won. Goals from João Felix and Anthony Ilanga uh, in the 80th minute to equalize in a really frustrating match on both sides, I guess, because Atletico played so well in the first half where they were basically flawless except finishing more of their opportunities they they hit the crossbar and they hit the posts in this game uh they only scored one i felt like they should have scored more they locked down manchester united's attack manchester united didn't have a single touch on the ball in the penalty box in the first half ronaldo was completely silent silenced and and shut down uh, like and then when you look at manchester united the way that they've been playing it's so frustrating it is absolutely there's no control there. There's no organization. There's no fluidity. 
they just look like a bunch of chickens with their heads cut <laughs> off and there's no there's no chemistry there's absolutely mm. nothing uh nothing there and they're extremely lucky to to come out of Madrid with just a draw because this game could have easily went two or three nothing uh in Atletico's favor and it, it's just frustrating I guess from an Atletico Madrid fans uh perspective because they're not getting the job done on the attacking side and then it's frustrating on a Manchester United um fans perspective because the whole team is just a disaster and they just can't get anything going well so yeah. what are your takes on this game yeah I, th- I think that Atletico and Simeone they were disappointed not to get a result there because they dominated early on and you know I think that the result is is pretty advantageous to to man united because you know they weren't really deserving of you know any type of result in this match uh i think that later on they they started playing well in this match and that's the thing with man united that they have these pockets where they they show brilliance where you know it's working for them but then they have you know other instances where they're really you know kind of shooting themselves in the foot uh i think that they they lacked creativity you know and they struggled for much of the much of the match but you know, I think that Ragnick, he had some good tactical changes. You know, he brought on uh, Elango, who ended up scoring the equalizer. He took out Lindelof, who was at right back, uh, Juan Bisake. And then, you know, that allowed them to, to go forward a bit. And then I think Matic as well, you know, he was able to stop, you know, Atletico from, from those attacks. So I think it was a good tactical change. And, uh, you know, in the last few, you know, 20, 15 minutes uh, of the second half, you know they could have they could have scored a couple more. I think that after the equalizer, they were you know showing how well that they could play. But I think the the result is more in their favor, and Atletico is a little bit probably a bit more pissed that they didn't secure a result there. Yeah, because they're going to have to go into Manchester, which is regardless of United's form, it's never an easy place to to play in. And throughout this whole pandemic, since we, the stadiums were allowed to to go back to full capacity. It hasn't stopped in Manchester. They've been sold out basically every single uh, league game. So that stadium is definitely going to be packed. And I don't know. I, 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 I'm going to make a quick prediction on this. I think United are going to pull it off at home. And we're and Atletico, once again, are going to disappoint in the Champions League. And they're going to look back at one of the legs where they played somewhat decently, but just didn't get the job done, whether it was a defensive blunder or just not putting enough um, putting the ball away enough when they should have. And like I said, they had opportunities in this game early on to really put the game away. And it's so frustrating when you're at home, you have the crowd behind you and you're playing against a team that is not having a good night and you are walking away with just a draw and you're giving them the opportunity to go at home to to have a chance and actually win this thing. So I, I think I'm if I'm going to make a prediction, Eddie, I, I'm going to say Manchester United are going to pull this off and Atletico are, are just going to disappoint. Yeah, I'm going to say the same because uh, that that game with Ronaldo just being, you know, absent, yep. I think he's going to go to Old Trafford with a, with a point to prove. Those are the games that motivate him and, he, you know, he has a great history against Atletico and just his scoring record. Uh, and I think Bruno Fernandes too, you know, has something to 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 prove too. Because in this game, even though he had the assist, he was you know almost unapparent the whole match. And you know, you expect him to to rise to the occasion as well. So I think going to Old Trafford, it's advantage Man U. So yeah, 
Yeah, a lot of revamping needed for both sides. So, Eddie, last game, uh, Benfica to IX to Benfica, obviously at home. Man, this was a an exciting match uh, overall and very attack attack minded uh, game from both sides overall. IX finished with forty six total attacks. Benfica finished with thirty eight total attacks. Both teams making mistakes and they're capitalize and they both capitalize on the opposition's mistakes. It was a great game that I didn't want to finish because they, it just that that vibe that that atmosphere in the game it just felt like there needed to be a winner and it, that's how great of a game it was so what what are your takes on this one yeah this is was just another one of those games that you know ajax left there wanting a better result and they right. could have finished a few chances but well played to benfica because they they were able to match you know, the, that style that Ajax plays and it's very fast flowing, it's end to end, you know, you have to be able to match that. So I think that Ajax were able to take advantage of some of Benfica's mistakes, but, uh, you know, Benfica, they, they proved in the second half, uh, Rafa, Sil- uh, Rafa Silva and Darwin Nunez, I think that they, they attacked really well. Um, and they did make Ajax uncomfortable going into the attacking third. I think the, in the end, the game could have went either way. Uh, Ajax were really good in possession. And they were really good at playing the ball into, you know, spaces that were able to create opportunities. But not a bad result for Ajax. Ajax going in second leg, but actually I changed my mind. I think it's a more preferable result for Benfica because I think going to, because they're, they're going to Lisbon, I think that they'll get a result. Yeah, I, I mean. Think Benfica will pull it through. Yeah, uh, I mean. I, I think Ajax are going to come out on top because they just play so well. And I think that they had an off night because going into into the half, they Ajax had the lead 2-1. to one, And it could have easily been 4-1. to one. Ajax had golden opportunities. They hit the post. They missed an open, um, an open net. The game could have been closed out then. But knowing that Benfica were, went into the half just down a goal, you know, Nelson Verissimo definitely adjusted made made halftime adjustments and we saw in the second half how well Benfica really played. And I think this is a problem that IX has because they usually just bury their opponents. They never really secure a game and protect the lead or anything like that. Because we saw Benfica in the second half really just giving it to IX and and really outplaying them. And and they had possession a lot less in the second half than they did in the first but they made the most of it. That counterattack was really, really good. Uh, Rafa Silva was all over the place in the second half, getting involved. It seemed like, you know, just the 35% ball possession that Benfica had in the second half, it seemed like Rafa uh, Rafa Silva had half of it for Benfica. And every single time that they went up the pitch, they were creating something. They were really applying the pressure and really making Ajax uncomfortable in that second half. And I don't know, this could be something that's alarming for Ajax, because they just didn't close the game out, and we've seen it in the Eredivisie in games where they, they've dropped points. They just weren't able to close it out. They usually just bury their opponents, and that's it. Uh, in this game and in games where they struggled, it always seems to be the problem. So, um, you know, in, in the next I, – I, I guess how I feel about the next game is it's hard for Ajax to do the same thing twice so i'm, I'm going to disagree i'm going to go with ix i think they're going to win in the second leg three weeks from now 
Um, not sure what the score will be, but I think Benfica having another night like this is also a rarity because they're all over the place in the league. They're very inconsistent, and it just seems like you know Benfica did expose Ajax when they were uncomfortable, but it's going to be difficult to repeat the process because so many teams had that difficulty against Ajax trying to get, you know, like, uh, Sparting and 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 Dartmouth had against Ajax in the group stage. They couldn't get the best of them in the other leg, so it's going to be a, a tough game for them. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, it is it is knockout stage, so I think the the approach sometimes will be different, and yep. that's what Ajax knows is that free flowing attacking football, and that's pretty much how they defend is they they get forward and they keep the ball and they play that that high press that counter press to to win the ball back. Yeah, um, but I think Benfica, you know, going because you know playing in Portugal, I think it will change the, you know. Oh, the actually, whole, the they're they're playing in Amsterdam in the second leg. Oh, it was the other way. Yeah, it was the other oh, way. With, yep, I couldn't remember. Oh, that changes everything then. Yeah. So and and IX at home with that atmosphere and everything like that, they're they're so comfortable there, and they always seem to get everything going and. Also, Eddie, another like record here that I fa- that I almost forgot to mention: Sebastian Haller scoring his eleventh goal in the competition, the fastest to score eleven goals in a single competition, and he did that in just seven matches. He did it faster than Erling Braut-Talland. He did it faster than Cristiano Ronaldo. He did it faster than uh, Lewandowski, uh, yep. Lionel Messi, all these top top names and. It's not like Ajax haven't played against good teams. They've done it against yeah. good teams, and it doesn't matter who you play against. In this competition, to score 11 goals, it's it's no fluke. It's not an easy task. Yeah, man, and he's he's a classic nine, and he's able to score in so many different ways. He, his positioning is great, but he can score goals that require ability, you know, uh, headed goals, you know, just one time finishes. Yeah. I mean, he he scored like some tap ins, but he's he's getting numbers, yeah. you know. And I think that he's the first player to score four times on his debut since Van Boston. Yeah, that's like crazy. Like you're being like you said a few names, and you know you're being compared with all these other names. So he's fulfilling his his uh, his name right now. And I know that uh, was it last year. Who was where was he last year? Um, I'm, I don't remember where he was, but he wasn't able to play in Europe for Ajax because he came yeah. in the winter uh, transfer window, and then he wasn't able to to play in the Champions League because of the yeah. whole uh, roster protocol um, that UEFA has. So, yeah, um, yeah Sebastian Haller, um, I'll find out right now. Yeah, he reminds me of like a a striker, like a closer who scores all types of goals and yeah. I mean, he doesn't have any like fascinating skill where, you know, he's like dazzling and he's dribbling, he's doing all these step overs and, you know, flicking the ball over people's heads. He's not doing that, but he knows where to be and he finishes when he needs to. And that's what you want from your striker. Like your midfielder's job is to get up the field and, you know, supply for your strikers and he has to finish. So yeah, he's had amazing numbers and getting to watch him, he just, and he's, his his size too. He's yeah, like he's huge. Uh, he's huge. So he's a presence. So he has a lot of good strengths. You know, he has a build like Lewandowski. He's you know he's great in the air, but he's also great with his feet, which is like some of the bigger players, like even like a Ibra, 
you know, it's amazing to see a guy that big with skillful feet. You know, usually those guys don't, you know what I mean? Yeah. So he played for West Ham United and I don't know what it is with IX and finding players that are already like well experienced in their upper twenties. Sebastian Haller's 27, but Dusan Tadic, when he arrived at at IX, he played a couple of years or or so in the Premier League. He was at Southampton and yeah, he was good. People knew him and whatnot, but he completely broke out in the Netherlands and obviously in that Champions League run that they had, he was arguably the best player in the tournament that year. There's just something about IX, man. It's just whether it's their youth academy, whether it's scouting players abroad, or it's just finding players that are already well-seasoned, well-experienced, that don't have the biggest names, but they turn into stars there. It's just incredible what they're able to do. And those players in particular, we all know what Ajax is all about, producing these young talents and, and scouting and whatever, but it's these players that come out of nowhere that have been around for a while and they just break out and they contribute to their success. And, you know, I guess, I don't know. I, I guess I'm jumping on the IX train here. I think IX are going to go through and I hope, I hope they uh, make another run for it in the, uh, in the champions league. You know what, Roy, you changed my mind. And yeah, I fucked up. I think it, the game was at Lisbon. <laughs> my Eddie, bad. But in yeah. the mud. In the mud. No, I'm going. Eddie, I'm going the with fireworks fan. <laughs> uh, yeah, man. If my cousin's listening, yo, man, fuck Ajax. No. <laughs> yeah, he would. He would kill me to for for saying this. But yeah, Ajax through because no, you're right. You're absolutely right in that they are able to reinvent themselves time and time again. You know, they've had multiple talking about multiple generations that spanned, you know, back 30 years yeah. that they've sold off these players as these players have gone elsewhere in Europe and right. had success, you know, Clarence Adolf went champions league with freaking five different clubs, whatever yeah. it is, you know <laughs> what I mean? And they've, they've become synonymous with just Dutch football and just European success. So yeah. it's no surprise that they have all these talented players like Anthony, that guy is freaking nasty howler he's putting up amazing numbers even like Klassen and you're saying Tadic Tadic scored a banger against uh in this last game yeah you know what I mean so it's just like so much talent and you know they dispose of you know their big names every year you know they got rid of Delict you know they got rid of uh uh well Ziek you know a lot of players have have left there and you know they still rebuild yeah and you know, it just seems like that run a few years ago was like, all right, we're never going to see Ajax go this far again for for a while. And here they are. And Eric Ten Hag, the guy is doing things, that whole system there at Ajax, total football. They've never changed. That identity, that DNA hasn't right. changed for over 50 years. Yep. And it's it's a beautiful thing when it works. And it's great to see all these young players and all these all these players working together. They're not the most talented team, but like as a group, they play so well when when uh, when they're on. So yeah. yeah. So so Eddie, that's gonna wrap things up for this episode. Uh, is there any last words for you? No, man. We're you know I'm excited for uh, this next round of Champions League games. I think there's a lot that is that is still open. Um, I think a lot of teams learned. You know, you got to put away your opportunities. You know, especially early on. You know, or else there's these teams that just punish you. You know, like Liverpool coming um you know they were nil nil with with inter for so long yeah and they finished uh who was it salzburg you know they had the the lead on bayern and they they let bayern equalize like right at the death you know it's all these you know 
yeah. teams that just punish you. So yeah, I'm excited to see, uh, especially and also Europa League and watching that too. I know Porto made it through next round, big one. So a lot of stuff going on in Europe. Um, and then we also have uh, Sporting Porto coming up in a couple of weeks. Yeah. A lot of stuff, a lot of good games coming up. So excited for our next few episodes. Yeah, a lot of football coming up. And there's an interesting derby this weekend. It's the Derby of Sevilla. Sevilla versus Real Betis, second and third in La Liga. A lot is at stake there. If, you know, if Sevilla win, you know, they're, they're getting closer and closer with uh, with Real Madrid. There's an actual chance. Mm-hmm. There's an actual race there if they pull off the victory. And if that happens, it also opens that competition for the final Champions League spots too because Atletico Madrid are currently in fifth place. So there's a lot of... It, that game is gonna hold a lot of uh, uh, hold a lot of ground, so we're gonna see how that that race turns out, and hopefully, hopefully there is a, a, a title race in La Liga, and hopefully there's a, a new winner. In my opinion, I'd like to see a different team win other than the big yeah. three. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting because Sevilla has you know this really good team, and you know they just signed Martial, and I think he's you know he's performing great for them. Uh, you know in Papu Gomez too, just dude, they have a really nice team. And I think that, you know, it works in that Spanish league and, you know, they're playing some really nice football. So it's cool to see that, you know, there's a different teams making a run for, to win La Liga and, you know, Barcelona aren't really in the mix. So it's, it's cool to see, you know, other teams, you know, Real Betis too. You know, I really like Fakir. I think he's, uh, he's, he's an awesome player too. He's built like a tank. So yeah. uh, When is that game? Sunday? I think it's Saturday. Saturday should be should be a good one to watch. Uh, I always love watching La Liga, so that's a game definitely to look forward to because there's so much behind it aside from the actual derby itself. Because every derby is a big game. So, Um, but yeah, that's gonna do it for this episode of the Red Card Report podcast. If you like the show, please give us a, a like on iTunes. Give us five stars. Leave a review. Follow us on Twitter at RCR underscore podcast and we'll see you next time. That's astonishing.